wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Do I have everybody's attention now? Sorry about your damn luck. I deserve one more match. It's going to be the end of the world as you know it. Welcome back, folks, to WrestleRant Radio for August 12, 2014. I'm your host, Graham GSM Matthews. With a lot on tap for today's show, including SummerSlam predictions for this Sunday, as well as my on-site report for TNA Impact Wrestling from New York City last Wednesday on August 6, 2014. Had a great time, my first ever TNA show. The two shows that I attended, it was technically one show, but they taped two shows in one, uh, three and a half hours long. It was a long night, but a fun one. Um, both shows will be airing on September 4th and September 11th, respectively. So if you don't want any spoilers for either of those shows... I highly suggest skipping that segment, but we will not be getting to that right away. Two news items I want to briefly discuss. First off, Alberto Del Rio being released from the WWE this past week. In a very controversial fashion, um, it was announced, I believe on Thursday, that Del Rio had been released from his contract. The way it was all handled was very, very odd. They didn't use his real name in the release statement. They didn't wish him well on his future endeavors, as WWE is known to do when they ever release somebody, um, regardless of whether their contract is up or whether they just release him out of the blue. Usually they sent out that statement. They did not with Del Rio. And in addition to that, on Friday, they sent out tweets. I think it was either Friday or Saturday. They sent out tweets from the official WWE Twitter account saying that if there's anyone to blame, it is not us. It is not us, WWE. It is Alberto Del Rio. Every pro athlete should take consequences and responsibility for their actions. So what the rumor was going around at the time, and it's a good thing I'm taking a few days to talk about this as opposed to right afterwards, and I did if you want my full in-depth thoughts on this. I also gave some uh, brief insight on it on my Facebook page, I believe on Saturday, if you want to scroll down that far to go find it. But nevertheless, the report going around was that Del Rio had slapped the WWE.com worker, someone in charge of the social media for WWE backstage a couple of days ago, I think early last week, which led to the release of Alberto Del Rio from the WWE. So the reasoning behind Del Rio's actions was that apparently this WWE.com social worker, social worker, social media worker, whose name is yet to be disclosed, there's a lot of rumors around uh, regarding who it could be, there's only a few people in charge of that kind of thing in terms of social media backstage for WWE, there has been one name, his name escapes me, I think it was Cody something or something along those lines, Balberry or... I don't know exactly what it was, but I don't want to speculate either because it's not yet to be confirmed. But that being said, though, apparently one of the WWE.com workers had made a racist comment towards Del Rio and catering, saying that he should be the one to wash the dishes. Somehow it got back to Del Rio. He confronted the individual. The individual refused to apologize, leading to Del Rio slapping said individual, leading to Del Rio's release. So my immediate reaction was that, and a lot of people's immediate reactions was that, if Del Rio was going to be released from his contract due to slapping a WWE.com worker, and I know, you know, getting getting in fights backstage with fellow wrestlers isn't as bad because it's a wrestler, a WWE.com worker, or any other employee down from a, an official to a, the janitor, they're not in-ring competitors, they're not athletes, so they should not be smacked, they should not be physically abused, and that's what Del Rio did, so in that respect, he deserved the release, but with that being said, though, should not, there should not be any double standards if this supposed worker for the WWE.com, social media, whatever, the Twitter accounts, whoever this may be, should also be punished for their actions. Whether it be fired or fined or suspended, whatever it may be, he should also serve some sort of punishment. As of right now, from what I read a couple of days ago, the update on the situation is that that said individual has not yet been released or fired from WWE, but they very well might be within the next coming days, weeks, whatever. We hope to have an update on the situation very, very soon. But in terms of Del Rio, it doesn't matter who it is. Regardless of what they say, you can't put your hands on a backstage personnel. And I'm thinking, I mean, I said this on my Twitter, I, I went on a Twitter, Twitter rant around about this, I believe, over the weekend. But I said this during that uh, 
during the, my when I gave my two cents on Twitter was that Del Rio, you, you just can't smack anyone. I don't care what they say. It doesn't matter if they made a racist remark or not. You can't put your hands on someone that is not an athlete. You can't do that. It will lead to your immediate a release from the company. WWE is so sensitive regarding in such a sensitive society nowadays they can't let anything like this slip by into the news stream, into the mainstream, into the news. They just can't let something that's like that slip by. So I understand why Del Rio was released, but they also can't not take action on this other guy for his racist remark. Hopefully he does get fired or serves some sort of punishment for his actions. But in terms of Del Rio, and I said this during my Twitter rant like I said before, but I think he just didn't give a shit. I just don't think he really gave a shit at all, and I can't blame him for his actions. If someone made a racist remark towards me, I would smack him too, especially if I was on my way out. Um, I don't really want to see, though. I, I mean, I know some people were saying, oh, thank you, Del Rio. And I understand that some people are taking Del Rio's side in this. I understand that. But the whole thank you, Del Rio, as your fan from day one is absolute bullshit. Because some people have been complaining, and myself included, I'm not excluding myself from this at all, but people, members of the internet wrestling community, the IWC respectively, has been complaining about Del Rio for years. Del Rio has been mishandled by WWE for years, and I said this when Ricardo was released last week. You can check out the clip on YouTube or listen to last week's edition when I talked about Ricardo's release from the WWE, was that Del Rio was absolutely buried, and I'll go in a brief um, you know, topic about this on, on a brief rant regarding how Del Rio was handled in WWE from his debut in the company. And um, it really wasn't his fault for the most part. I know people will say that he was boring and stuff like that, and I don't want to see those said people taking his side and saying, thank you, Del Rio, please come back. You didn't deserve to be fired. The guy was going to leave anyway. I don't really care what you say. Yes, he was maybe not in the wrong. Maybe he was in the wrong. It really depends on who you talk to. But um, he should not come back. He was better off gone anyway. He was on his way out, so I don't see any point in bringing him back. They weren't doing anything with him. So let's rewind. Let's retread this for a second. Del Rio making his debut almost exactly four years ago in August of 2010 on the SmackDown brand. His first night in, taking out Rey Mysterio, making him tap out clean. So a big win for Alberto Del Rio after weeks and weeks and weeks of all those vignettes. And I figured from all the vignettes that he'd be like the next Eric Escobar, if you can even recall who that guy is. Um, I saw him as the next Eric Escobar, and they would be promoting him, hyping him up, and he would be an absolute flop. And I didn't know his background or anything like that. But he debuted, defeated Mysterio clean. They obviously had big plans for the guy. Um, there was a report only a few days removed from this was that a WWE.com worker, ironically enough, also put out a description on the website saying that Del Rio was going to be pushed to the moon very quickly, so don't, surprise, don't, don't be surprised to see him get shoved down your throats within months, or don't be surprised to see him win any championships, or to win championships anytime soon, or something along those lines that they pretty much spoiled and foreshadowed that Del Rio was be, going to be receiving a huge push going forward, and that he did. He had a very good feud with Rey Mysterio. He went on to win the largest Royal Rumble in WWE history in 2011, was in a headlining match at WrestleMania. Granted, it opened the show, but it was a World Heavyweight Championship matchup. And that's when, I wouldn't account that, I wouldn't attribute that as the official downfall of Alberto Del Rio. On the road to WrestleMania 27, I think they made the mistake of having him lose way too often, and then having him lose at WrestleMania. Because I figured with all the losses that he was taking going into WrestleMania to the likes of Edge and Christian respectively, and I thought the end game, I thought the end plan was that he was going to win the World Championship from Edge at WrestleMania didn't happen. At Extreme Rules the following month, face Christian for the World Heavyweight Championship did not happen. He didn't win the World Championship. I thought it was the best move to have Christian win, but they didn't give Del Rio the world title then either. So he went over to Raw, was sent there in the draft, the 2011 draft, I think the final ever draft that WWE has ever held, Aside's the point. But anyway, he went on to feud with John Cena for the WWE Championship. He won the Money in the Bank ladder match. All was right with Del Rio. He had won the WWE title at SummerSlam when he cashed in the contract. All was looking great for Del Rio. He looked to be on the fast track to superstardom in WWE. But within a month, within a fucking mere month, a guy had dropped the WWE title back to John Cena. And that of champions. He didn't get pinned. He fucking tapped out clean. And that drove me crazy. And to this day, three years later, I still attribute that as the official downfall of Del Rio. He just wasn't the same after that. Before that, for that solid year that he was in the WWE, he had such a great run. He was one of the rare heels in wrestling that can make someone 
tap out clean. He was one of those heels that could win his matches without cheating, even though he had Ricardo in his corner. That's what I loved about Del Rio so much, and they ruined that when they ruined his first run with the championship. He had a second run with the title, held it for only about a month before he dropped it to CM Punk at Survivor Series and MSG in November of that year. And he would get injured, he would have that long-ass, boring-ass feud with Sheamus over on SmackDown for the World Championship. I thought his feud with Randy Orton was good, they had a lot of great matches, but that's forgotten by a lot of people. The run as World Heavyweight Champion, the face turn at first was a welcome sight, it was something fresh for, for Del Rio to do, after being wasted for months upon months upon months. And then they botched that too, he didn't get over as they thought he would. He dropped the world title, won it back at payback, um, I thought... Splitting from Ricardo, as I said last week, would be the best thing for him, kind of giving something new. The whole car thing got old, and I was wrong. He got stale. He wasn't any different. He wasn't any more unique than he was before, and he flopped. Dropped the world title to John Cena in October at Hell in a Cell. Hasn't been the same since. He became the new pseudo-face of WWE superstars on the network, facing the likes of R-Truth and Justin Gabriel every week. So they, they didn't obviously have any plans for him. It wasn't like he was in the midst of a world title push or anything like that. Del Rio was on his way out anyway. This goes back many months ago when the report came out that Del Rio, when his contract expired later this year, that he was well on his way out of the WWE. So I don't want to see anyone say that, oh, they should bring him back. Yes, I understand that he might not be, that he might have been wronged in the situation. He did, he did deserve to be fired. I don't care what anyone says. Regardless of what that, what that guy said, you can't put your hands on a fellow employee if they are not a wrestler, if they are not a fellow athlete. You need to behave appropriately if you are a professional athlete. So with that being said, he needed to be fired. They could always bring him back, but I just don't see that being possible, seeing how, one, they wasted his character. They ruined him. They ruined any potential he had. And two, he had nothing left to do. They pushed him down our throats way too quickly. The same thing could be said for Sheamus. The guy, instead of going from a tag team or even from a mid-card position to the world championship status, he immediately was skyrocketed to the top won the world championship, and then there was nothing left for him to do. He had basically done it all. A four-time world champion, won the Royal Rumble, won the Money in the Bank briefcase, headlined multiple pay-per-views. There's nothing left for him to do, so I don't, I don't blame him whatsoever for what he did and for leaving. The prob the, he's probably happier now than he was before this whole thing went down. And uh, I had just recently read that he will be at uh, AAA's pay-per-view or event this upcoming Sunday, I don't know if he's going to be appearing on the pay-per-view itself or he'll be backstage. I don't think he'll be wrestling. I believe he has the 90-day no-compete clause like every other ex-WWE employee has. But nevertheless, though, it looks like he's going to be making good living for himself. He's made enough money over the course of his career that he can retire today and he'd be fine. So with that being said, I don't see him going to TNA. I believe TNA made uh, reached out to him for an offer. I wouldn't be completely shocked, but I just don't see that happening. Like I said, I think he's well off. If he retires, he's fine. He's made enough money. He's much more appreciated by the fans in Mexico. We American fans, we WWE fans have trashed him for years, and it's not all entirely his fault. Yes, his promos might have gotten boring and stale and just completely ruined. Um, they might have completely ruined the guy, but the guy can still have great matches if motivated. He had lost his um, you know, his physique for the most part. He was kind of pale. The fact that he was even, even in the Money in the Bank uh, main event a couple of months ago was absolutely mind-boggling to me, given the next night he was on a Superstars taping with R-Truth. I was there. But uh, nevertheless, though, I think all of this is for the better for Del Rio. I understand. I don't want to see people you know, yelling at me, saying I'm taking the social media worker side on this. I'm not. I'm saying that if he should be punished much like Del Rio is. If Del Rio is going to get fired, so should that guy. It's only fair. It's only equal. That's what you got to do. So from there, I want to briefly discuss another report that came about last week in regards to SmackDown, reportedly going back to Thursday night, and this all came about after a photo was leaked online regarding a production truck, one of the newest WWE production trucks that they were all recently revamped, and it said on it, SmackDown on Sci-Fi's Thursdays at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 Central. So WWE responded to this saying that it was only an error, they got ahead of themselves, so, with that being said, and the wording of the statement that WWE put out, it really sounds like they're really making plans to put SmackDown back on Thursday nights. And if you can recall, it was for a number of years, I think it was 15 years ago this month, that SmackDown officially made its debut and has been going ever since. And um, since, I think, 2005, I want to say, they have been on Friday nights. 
Why they ever went to that night to begin with is a mystery to me. Friday nights is not the best night for television. But then again, on Thursdays, there's impact, there's football. It's not like in 2014, TNA is much of a competition for WWE. But that being said, though, um, SmackDown, going back to Thursdays, my thoughts on it. I don't care if it's on Tuesdays, Saturdays, Fridays, Thursdays. It doesn't matter to me personally. Just make the goddamn thing live. For one thing, actually, I do care what day it's on. I don't want to see it on Tuesdays because I don't want to see a pay-per-view, a three-hour pay-per-view, if it's WrestleMania, then four, a three-hour Monday Night Raw, and then a two-hour SmackDown. I'd be dead. I can't sit through that much wrestling within the course of 72 hours. I just can't. So I don't want to see SmackDown on, on Tuesdays. But any other day is fine for me. Thursdays is okay. I'd put it on Fridays. I'd keep it on Fridays. I have no problem with Fridays. Maybe that's just me. Thursdays is okay too. I like watching NXT. I like walking. I, I like walking, walking. I like watching Impact and NXT or whatever on Thursday nights. But um, moving SmackDown, I don't know how that would affect that. I'll get to that in a second. But you got to make the thing live. SmackDown needs to go live, and right now that might be the best not might be the best time for that to happen with all the budget cuts and WWE trying to cut back and that whole thing. So I understand that. So right now might not be the best time for SmackDown to go live, but definitely down the line I need to see it happen. I think their SmackDown specials that they did, the Super SmackDown live shows they've done over the last couple of years. Their first one was about three years ago in August 2011. I thought it was great. A lot of them, not so great, but I mean, the, the aspect of it, of SmackDown going live, will make a lot of people tune in. I think when SmackDown aired on USA Network, and I know USA Network has, you know, more viewership than a lot of the shows on Spike combined. I'm not Spike or Spike 2, but Sci-Fi. Um, it got a big-ass rating because it was live. It was on Tuesdays, and I like I said, I don't really want to see it on Tuesdays, but... And I know they need to tape it on Tuesdays because then the rest of the week they do house shows, so maybe doing it live on Fridays or Thursdays is not all that uh, logical, I guess, from a WWE standpoint. But that being said, we need to see it go live because a lot of people, one of the main reasons why SmackDown is not watched by a lot of fans these days is because they can just easily read the spoilers and they don't need to tune in every week to find out because a lot of the shit that happens is just rematches from Raw, there's no storyline development. It is decent more often than not, but it's not Raw, and Raw is where all the big shit happens. I mean, I know Del Rio won the World Championship on SmackDown a couple of years ago, I think in January of 2013, but they spoiled it anyway. They spoiled it on the website um, to make people tune in in a desperate attempt to get a, to pop a big rating. They spoiled it on the website days in advance, and that's the kind of shit I don't want to see happen. I hate spoilers, for one thing. That's just me. And anything, not just wrestling, just in anything, I hate to be spoiled. So I just don't like SmackDown being taped. I watch it anyway. I hate spoilers, so I don't read them. But that's one of the biggest reasons why a lot of people do not tune in for SmackDown every Friday night is because they can easily read the spoilers on Tuesdays as it's happening. So I think that's the biggest flaw with SmackDown right now. Maybe if it were to go to Thursdays, the rating would be better. But that being said, now getting to this right now, with TNA Impact. I mean, with TNA Impact, that's a whole mystery in of itself with uh, the whole deal with Spike TV. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. What will happen with Impact by the time October rolls around, we have no idea. And if SmackDown were to go to Thursdays, when that would be, I don't know. Um, the speculation has been made by a lot of fans in regards to a lot of TV networks making their fall lineup right now. So if they were going to move it to Thursdays, it would need to make it right now. So I'm interested to see what they will do with SmackDown and when it will go to Thursdays. It's looking like it's all but confirmed right now by WWE. It's only a matter of time. But um, SmackDown, I mean, usually they do the whole revamping thing. Like, you know how they change up the intro, they change up the intro, or they, they change up the intro theme, the, the, you know, the entrance music and stuff like that for SmackDown. Usually every October or every other October. So if I had to take a guess on when SmackDown would be going to its new, ne- uh, not, new not new network, but new day or new night or whatever, it would be October. Just purely speculation on my part, no inside in- in- uh, info on that re- whatsoever. But with that being said, though, um, what happens to TNA Impact, I have no idea. I'm still confident that TNA Impact, it may not be with Spike, but they will score a TV deal somewhere. Um, whether they stay on TNA on, on Thursday nights remains to be seen. But whether it goes for NXT, there has been some rumors floating around that WWE, if they were to move SmackDown back to Thursday nights, that NXT would be airing, maybe not live, of course, because they tape a couple of shows at a time. 
but they would move NXT to Wednesday nights in the network, which I could see being possible with main event being on Tuesdays, Raw on Mondays, pay-per-views on Sundays, SmackDown on Thursdays, and Wednesdays and Fridays are left open, and Saturdays, but no one really wants to see anything on Saturdays. So you move NXT to Wednesday nights, which was usually, it was up on Wednesday nights anyway on Hulu Plus when they were still doing that thing. So I could see that being possible. It's really nothing out of the ordinary for NXT. For superstars, no one really watches it anyway, so it doesn't really pose as big of a problem. But you could do it on Friday afternoons, which I know they've done a handful of times over the last couple of months um, when they preempt the show and they air something else instead. So I could see that being a possibility, whether they air it on Friday afternoons or Saturday mornings. doesn't really matter, like I said before, because no one watches superstars anyway, maybe besides myself, but... Anyway, that's the biggest problem with SmackDown. Like I said before, it needs to go live. It might not be plausible right now. I understand that. I'm in full. Uh, I, I completely realize that. Just hopefully in due time, they do take that under consideration. They probably have. But that's the biggest thing with SmackDown. It does not matter the night. Maybe it does in terms of viewership. But for me personally, in terms of my enjoyment of it, people will still go for the spoilers anyway. Maybe more people are available on Thursdays than they are on Fridays because people are out and about. I understand that. But they also face competition in terms of football and stuff when the fall comes around. So that will also pose a problem for SmackDown if they go to Thursdays. And it's looking like it will be at this point. But... Like I said before, the biggest thing with SmackDown right now is that they need to go live. If they do so, maybe the viewership will increase. Maybe it won't. The brand split, when it died, SmackDown really died to death. That's just my personal opinion. Maybe until they bring back the brand split, which like I said in this week's hashtag SDSM video, might not be anytime soon. But with that being said, though, here's hoping they can go live at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later. So with that... I'd like to transition into my spoiler report, so to speak. And like I said, it's kind of ironic because I said I hate spoilers, but I really didn't have any choice in this case when I attended the TNA show last Wednesday. But I'm going to go into my on-site report for TNA Impact Wrestling. They aired the, or they showed, or they, I'm sorry, they taped the September 4th and September 11th editions of Impact Wrestling. Um, last Wednesday when I went at the Manhattan Center in New York City, my first ever TNA show, they taped two nights worth of shows. If you do not like spoilers like me, I would strongly suggest um, fast-forwarding in uh, maybe a, a top 20 minutes, if not past that. I'll be going in-depth with uh, my thoughts on each of the matches and the crowd reactions, my experience at the show and stuff like that. So once again, I strongly suggest if you do not like spoilers and do not want it to be spoiled with what happens on the September 4th and September 11th and some stuff that happens in between because they probably, you know, um, spoil some of the matches that will happen within the next month. If you don't want it to be spoiled, please fast forward another 20 minutes or so. So from there, TNA Impact Wrestling for August 6, 2014. It got tickets that Monday night. It wasn't really sure if I was going to be going or not. Um, I really wanted to go. I was unable to go to their June tapings in late June in New York City. And here's the thing. TNA has not come to Connecticut, where I live, in almost two and a half years. The last time that I can recall that I heard about TNA being in Connecticut. And they have terrible product awareness. So I wouldn't be surprised if they came here within the last year or so and I just didn't know about it. But the last time they held a house show for TNA was in January of 2012. And I wasn't going to wait anymore to go to another TNA show. Cause like, oh, I'm sorry, to go to a TNA show because I've never been before. And especially with all the um, uncertainty regarding TNA's future going forward and their TV deal and people just not being sure how long they'll be around for, I needed to go to the show because it might be my last ever chance, and I knew I would regret it if I couldn't go. So I really wanted to go to one of the three shows, whether it be on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. It all really revolved around my work schedule, because as I filmed this, I'm, I'm, I'm on vacation right now. I took a week off to go here, and I also took a night off in June for the Raw show that I went to, and I also took a few days off in July for going camping. So I felt bad taking any more days off when work, so it really, I, I just felt bad taking days off, so I just kind of wound on the wait and see if I had any days off, and I would go on my day off. And it just happened that Wednesday was the day that I was not working, so I ended up getting tickets for that show. As of Monday night, we got pretty good tickets all the way in the back on the second level of the of the Manhattan Center, of the Hammerstein Ballroom, as it's called, um, where a lot of Raw was taped over 20 years ago. So we ended up getting pretty good seats because we got there, 
And uh, even before we walked in the building, the building itself, it took a minute to kind of appreciate the history of the Manhattan Center. Like I just said, Raw was taped there over 20 years ago on a regular basis in 1993. So I took, I, I, I took a moment to take it all in. It was a great experience, a lot of history in that building when it comes to TNA. So it was awesome. So I walk in. I also got to meet Sam Roberts of Sirius XM Radio up in New York. I forgot that he even lived in the area, much less would be at the show. Um, I've been following his work on YouTube. And for people not familiar with him, he does a lot of wrestling interviews. He's a big wrestling fan. He has his own podcast. Um, but he has done interviews with The Miz, Hulk Hogan, John Cena, CM Punk, you name him. He's interviewed them. And he's great at what he does, so I'm a big fan of what he does, regardless of whether he interviews wrestlers or a celebrity like someone from The Walking Dead or... Um, you know, a, a, a bunch of people he's interviewed. So it was really cool uh, meeting him. He was standing right outside the arena. So I met him, took a picture with him. It's up on my, uh, I think my Facebook page or my Twitter page too. But um, that was cool. So I go in there. We get our tickets. We get checked out. We take the elevator up to where we're going to be. And uh, we, before I even go to my seats, I walk, we're walking up the stairwell. And I just happen to run into None other than Hector Guerrero, one half of the Spanish commentators. That was pretty cool. Got to shake his hand, told him I'm a big fan of what he does, uh, much respect. So that was cool. I should have taken a picture or got an autograph, and that was my mistake for not doing so. But it was cool meeting up with Hector Guerrero. And it just kind of served as a sad reminder to me as to why WWE, I'm WWE TNA doesn't have their English commentators, Mike Today and Taz, make the tapings. I guess they just do voiceover work in, uh, in Nashville after they... Uh, after they filmed these shows, and I already knew that I knew they wouldn't be at the show because based off from what I've heard from other tapings that they've done at the New Yorks in, in New York City at the Manhattan Center from the last couple of months, I knew that they weren't in the building, and it sucks because that would have been cool to see those guys up live and up in person. But then again, maybe not because their commentary sucks. But that being said, so we get there um, about 20 minutes before bell time. They ended up going around seven o'clock Eastern time. Of course, Eastern time. It's in fucking New York City. It's stupid me. But um, the dark match of the night, which I eventually realized would be actually taped for Explosion, which is their version of like Superstars or Heat or whatever, it was the Bromance taking on the Menagerie. So that was a decent matchup. People were into the Menagerie. I don't know if they're baby faces or what, but people were into them. The Bromance we actually saw a number of times on the show. DJ Z, who did not wrestle in this match, he served as a manager. He would wrestle on this night um, another two more times. So hearing his music two more times after this was kind of uh, strange and annoying. I mean, they were already annoying as it is, but that was that. The Bromance defeating the Menagerie and the Explosion taping matchup. Kicking off the actual show, I believe, for September 4th. And a lot of these matches were mixed and mashed. Some were taped for one night. Others were taped for another. So take this with a grain of salt in terms of like the match listing and stuff like that. But the first segment of the night was Bobby Roode and Eric Young. Both guys got big pops. They talked about the finish of the Six Sides of Steel matchup that they had at Hardcore Justice one week prior. So that's one spoiler, I guess, which we didn't see. They just talked about it. And uh, they, I guess they had a Six Sides of Steel match with Eric Young and Bobby Roode emerging victorious in a tie, a draw, to determine the number one contender to the TNA World Heavyweight Championship, leading to a match, a number one contender's bout between the two later on in the night. They just showed respect between one another, just a lot of talking. Like I said before, really cool to see Bobby Roode up and close, up in person. I've been a big fan of his for years now. Been a big beer money fan since uh, 2008, since I started watching TNA. And that's the thing, too. I started watching TNA over six years ago, almost exactly six years ago. So to go to the, my first TNA show all these years later was an absolutely surreal experience. And I'll get to that at the end of my review of these two shows. So that was the opening segment. Taryn Terrell taking on Madison Rain. A decent matchup. I heard some people call it a shit fest in the spoiler reports that I read. But for what it was, I thought it was pretty decent. Taryn Terrell... TV does not do her justice. She is absolutely gorgeous, as is Madison Rain, but both ladies are absolutely on fire. Um, fiery, fiery women. Gorgeous. But anyway, a decent matchup. Taryn Terrell ended up going over. A botched finish. I think Madison Rain almost botched her finisher. Some sloppy spots thrown in, but for what it was, I thought it was a decent contest. Terrell went over. Chris Melendez, the, uh, the troop that they ended up signing a couple of weeks ago, the guy with one leg, um, they put out a press release for him. You've probably heard about it right now. Great signing for TNA. I'm hoping they're not trying to capitalize off of his momentum and stuff like that with him having only one leg and all the media attention they'll be having and stuff like that. And hopefully he is pretty good. And I saw his first match here. He ended up wrestling his 
first ever matchup for TNA against Zima, Zima Ion. It was an okay matchup. He was obviously green. He hasn't obviously wrestled much. And I think he attended the Team 3D Academy in maybe Texas or wherever it is. So that's where he trained. He obviously has a lot of room for improvement. But for his first match in, I thought he did pretty well. The crowd loved him. A lot of USA and We the People chants. And very impressive for a guy that only has one leg. And I understand Zach Gowan had only one leg, and he did um, you know, exceed the expectations by a mile. And there will, there will obviously be a lot of comparisons to, uh, to Zima Ion, <laughs> Zima Ion, to Zach Gowan when it comes to Chris Melendez. But hopefully he can find his own skin, find his own character. And he has with the whole U.S. Troop thing, so much respect for him for that. And looking to improve in the ring going forward. So a nice in-ring debut for Chris Melendez. And no better fitting date for him to debut than on the September 11th edition of Teen Impact Wrestling in New York City, um, wherever else. So that I thought that was very fitting as well. Up next, we had Sonata taking on Austin Aries in kind of a rematch from their X Division matches, X Division Championship matches from a couple of months ago. Sonata sporting an all-new look with dark hair, sporting a hood, face paint, being billed by James Storm, his his uh, mentor right now as the great Sonata, kind of mocking the great Muda. So it was pretty cool to see Sonata up and close with Austin Aries. So that was pretty cool. Um, a good matchup from these two, much like their X Division contest a couple of months ago. Not as good as that, but it was good for what it was. Sonata taking out Austin Aries, picking up the victory, and at one point picking up the victory via a green mist, as Tajiri is known for the great Muda as well. But uh, it was funny because Sonata used the green mist on Austin Aries, and he spit it in a way that some of it dripped on the canvas. And they tried to rinse it out afterwards. And Jeremy Boras, by the way, and let me mention this, Jeremy Boras is fantastic. You don't realize how much he does for this company until you go to one of the TNA shows. He pumps out the crowd. He keeps things going. He keeps things flowing. He's great in what he does. Christy Hemi as well also looked like she's having a lot of fun in whatever she's doing. I saw her at, a, uh, at an indie show a couple of months ago. Where it was also the case. She just looks like she's always having fun, so that's great. Keeping the morale morale up for the locker room and fans alike, so that's great. But um, Jeremy Boras was hyping up the fans in between the commercial break or whatever, and um, people were trying to scrub out the green mist from the canvas, and that happened a couple of times over the course of the night because they couldn't get it out. It was like stained within the canvas, and they probably had to go wash it and stuff like that. But they had to come back out like three or four times to try to wash it out from the canvas, and they couldn't do it. So I'm interested in seeing what they do in, um, when these shows air, because I know they'll probably be, some of the matches will be airing on the September 4th episode. That match might have aired on the September 11th. Actually, no. That one probably aired on the 4th, because they did something else with Sonata and Ares that happened afterwards later on in the night. So, that being said, I don't know if it'll appear on TV for both tapings or what. It's going to be interesting, but... Yeah, just a brief side note there. Samoa Joe interrupting MVP Lashley and Kenny King. The heel trio of MVP Lashley and Kenny King getting a lot of great heat. Some boring chance. Samoa Joe was crazy over with the New York crowd, leading to a Joe-Lashley match for later on in the night. Really nothing of note to discuss there. A six-way number one contenders matchup for the X Division Championship featuring Homicide, Crazy Steve, Low Key, DJZ, Manic, and Tigre Uno. The X Division right now is doing a lot better with Samoa Joe as champion, which I actually found out on this show was he, he was the X Division champion because it, it would air, the title change would air the next night on Impact, so that kind of spoiled it for me personally. But anyway, though, um, Homicide having a great matchup um, em- ended up emerging victorious. I thought this matchup, ha- I'm sorry, a great showing. I thought this matchup would be a lot better than it ended up being, considering who was involved, Homicide, Low Key and all these other X Division talents. The matchup was only maybe four or five minutes. It came down to Homicide, and I think Manic, and the rest of the four guys were out at ringside. So it was kind of a disappointment of a matchup, but for what it was, Homicide ended up picking up the victory, the new number one contender to the X Division Championship. When that title match will air, I have no idea. It might have happened at the subsequent night's tapings for Impact. But <clears throat> for what it was, Homicide, seeing him up and close in person was cool. Same thing with Low Key. The guy's an amazing talent, and I'll get to that when I talk about his match with MVP that took on that took place later on in the night. And um, they also did something with Manic as well. Since he was the one pinned, he was laid out, he was sprawled out on the canvas. Out came James Storm and Sonata, who kidnapped him, put him over the shoulder. Sonata kicked him in the face, and James Storm put him over his shoulder, and they took him to the back. So I guess this whole thing with James Storm and his quote-unquote revolution will be taking over, and they'll be, um, and I guess Manic will be now a part of the quote-unquote revolution for James Storm, so that's pretty cool. At least they're finally doing something with Manic. I mean, I'm not a big fan of 
the character, but the guy underneath the mask, TJ Perkins, is a very good wrestler. I think just the mana character at this point is just more of a hindrance and it is helping him because it's it's been around for six years. The whole suicide thing was good for about a year or so. Then I really jumped the shark and this was kind of pointless. So I'm interested in seeing where that goes, that's for sure. So up next, we had Ethan Carter III and Rockstar Spud talking about Dixie Car- Carter being put through a table. EC3 a.k.a. the former, the artist formerly known as Derek Bateman from WWE, is a god on the mic. Maybe not, okay, maybe that's exaggerating a little bit, but I think he's better on the mic than a lot of people give him credit for. He worked the crowd in this contest. He did a lot of great stuff. He's making them believe every single word that he was saying. He was saying that, oh, you want to call me boring and stuff like that. Um, people are chanting, you can't wrestle, and he's like, no, I'm not. I'm better and stuff like that. You've seen him do it on TV before. But he ended up just laying out on the canvas and just laying there just doing like a, uh, a, a, what, a snow angel position. Um, it was pretty comical seeing how people were chanting boring, and that's exactly what they got. People appreciated that. So EC3, I think, is very good on the mic, and it's definitely improved in the last year since his TNA debut. But Rhino ended up interrupting, so I guess it's a face turn for Rhino, and he said that Rhino was to blame for all of this. I don't know if he was talking about him taking the pin in the in that Extreme Rules matchup that they had on Impact last week when Dexter Carter, right before Dexter Carter was put through a table, I don't know if they were talking about that or what, or maybe something else that happened within the next few weeks on Impact, but I guess EC3 and Rhino are going to be feuding, which doesn't really excite me. I'm a fan of Rhino. He's better off as a babyface. The whole thing of him doing it for money was kind of dumb in theory to begin with, but that being said, I hope that Rhino isn't the first one to give EC3 his first singles loss in TNA. He might be, and I hope not, because Rhino is kind of well past his prime at this point. He can still have a good matchup, but and he's over, but... EC3 should be facing like more top-tier talent after feuding with the likes of Kurt Angle and Sting and now uh, and just recently Bully Ray. Going on to Rhino really doesn't do much for me. They kind of need to let go of those ECW talent. And this show, by the way, after the first few episodes of Impact taped in New York City felt like a uh, an ECW reunion show. This was anything but that. Um, I did, definitely did not get that vibe whatsoever, despite the fact they were in NYC. So that's great. I know they had people like Rhino on the show and Team 3D and stuff like that. I mean, Bully's a part of the company, so I understand that. And Devon's going to the Hall of Fame. So they're going to be keeping Team 3D around for the next uh, couple of months. But with that being said, though, um, Rhino needs to go sooner rather than later. And he'd be back a little later on in the night to face Rockstar Spud. Up next, though, Bobby Roode versus Eric Young, number one contenders match for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. Very good matchup here from Bobby Roode and Young. A lot of close near falls. Some people weren't really into most of it because we weren't really given an incentive to cheer one guy over the other. But even still, a lot of solid, great wrestling from both guys. And uh, Bobby Roode emerging victorious, a new number one contender to the world title. And that matchup ended up taking place on Thursday's set of tapings from the Manhattan Center in New York City. So looking forward to seeing that matchup. I think at the new Sur- No Surrender pay-per-view or... Whatever it was, I think they taped No Surrender on Thursday in NYC, so that's probably when that matchup is taking place. Up next, we had Brandon Magnus taking on Sam Shaw and Gunner in tag team action. People did not care for this whatsoever. I'm a Magnus fan, um, but even still, I just did not care for this matchup, and neither did a lot of people in the arena. The matchup got zero reaction. The whole Sam Shaw and Gunner thing, I just think is dumb. I just do not like it. As it is not logical whatsoever. Gunner was doing well for himself. I mean, I'm not a Gunner fan, but he was doing well for himself as a singles competitor when he was feuding with James Storm a number of months ago in early 2014. But then he goes into this dumb storyline with Sam Shaw, which was a dumb gimmick to begin with, and that whole feud with Anderson bombed, and they're still doing that on TV. They didn't interact whatsoever on the show, so I don't know if they did any backstage segments, which we didn't get to see, by the way, because they taped all of that backstage, and we didn't have any Titantrons or whatever, which you probably know from seeing Impact these last few weeks in the Manhattan Center, so no video screens, and they didn't need them either. It was like with WWE, when they go to commercial during like Raw and stuff, they air videos on their big Titantron, and when they went to commercial for TNA, Jeremy Borash was interacting with the crowd like crazy. So that's great with TNA. That's something that they they vary with and uh, they vary in de- with WWE in a, in a lot of different aspects. That one uh, being one of them. That was pretty cool. But anyway, though, uh, tag team matchup, really nothing notable. It wasn't bad at all. Just people just didn't care. Brandon Magnus went over. Up next, we had one of the best matches of the night. To be quite honest with you, um, Gail Kim and Taryn Terrell. For the Knockouts Championship, and I think their third encounter, 
because their most recent encounter on an episode of Impact went to a no contest due to the beautiful people. This one had no interference. Great wrestling from both Taryn Terrell and Gail Kim. Like I said before, in, in terms of uh, Terrell and in regards to Taryn Terrell, TV does not do her beautifulness uh, justice whatsoever. TV does not do, do her justice anywhere. And, and regardless, uh, she is absolutely gorgeous. But a great matchup from Gail Kim and Taryn Terrell. Absolutely stole the show. I thought this was a terrific matchup from Gail Kim and Taryn Terrell. Really, really some great stuff here. A lot of holy shit chants. That was cool because I think the, this is this is awesome chants are um, very overrated in many regards when it comes to TNA fans. So some started chanting, this is cool instead. So this is awesome. This is cool. Like that kind of back and forth chant. So I thought that was really funny. But anyway, though, Gail Kim ended up going over after a very strong showing from Terrence Terrell. So a great matchup by far, one of the best women's matches that I've ever seen. Almost as good as their last knockout standing and ladder matches from last year. So great stuff there. Gail Kim still your knockouts champion. Afterwards, some random music hit. Everyone looked towards the entranceway. I thought it was awesome Kong for a second. I'm like, holy shit, she's coming back to TNA, baby. But then I realized, like, oh, she's on bad terms with the company. She hated Bubba Love Sponge or whatever bullshit happened in 2010, and she said that she would never be going back to TNA, so that kind of sucks, but, um, and I'd, I'd probably much rather see her in WWE anyway, but regardless, the music hits, I think it's awesome, Kong, out comes Havoc, Jessica Havoc instead, who they've been hyping up on TV for the last couple of months, um, this might have been her initial appearance, I don't know if she appeared at the Tuesday tapings, probably not, but um, even still, a cool debut for Jessica Havoc. She got a big pop when she came out. Demolished both Gail Kim and Taryn Terrell here. Um, just making an impact, no pun intended, her first night in. And it will probably be Gail Kim versus Havoc for the Knockouts Championship, either at No Surrender or Bound for Glory even. And the, that's probably why they had Gail Kim go over. I was hoping Taryn Terrell would come out of this as the new Knockouts Champion. I think she deserves to be at this point. But um, I can see why they would keep the title on Gail Kim for right now to build her up as a credible champion going into her rumored title defense against the debuting Jessica Havoc. So up next, we had a segment featuring Austin Aries calling out James Storm, talking about the actions during the Sonata matchup, saying, you know, telling to Sonata that, um, saying to Sonata that he was once a great wrestler before he joined up with James Storm, all that kind of thing. And then before he could say any more, James Storm and Sonata taking out a double team attack on Austin Aries. Out comes Kajiri, who had been advertised for the tapings. He might have been on Tuesday's show. If he was, I don't know why or what role that he had. I thought this might have been his debut on the show. I guess not. But anyway, though, um, Tajiri getting a big pop when he came out. So good stuff there. That probably set up Austin Aries and Tajiri against James Storm and Sonata in tag team action for the Thursday night taping. Up next, we had Rhino against Rockstar Spud. And by this point, the show was really starting to drag. This show overall was longer than a WWE taping, believe it or not. Um, seeing how the show was three and a half hours, Raw is usually a little over three hours um, on a good night. But um, this show really started to drag by this point, so it was good that a lot of these matches were short and sweet before we got to the main event. But Rhino taking out Rockstar Spud with a quick spear. The matchup was only about two or three minutes long. And, not a spear, I'm sorry. A gore! 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 It was a crazy finish. People weren't really into this, like I said before, because of the fact that it happened so late in the show, and people were just ready for the show to be over. But um, even so, though, quick squash match, building to Rhino versus EC3 at some point in time, whatever that will be, I have no idea. Lastly, taking on Samoa Joe in a champion versus champion match, TNA World Champion against the X Division Champion. Good matchup, especially since Lashley is not um, not known for his in-ring skills, but I think he has proven a lot of critics wrong. He's silenced the critics, he's proven the naysayers wrong, and that he's had a lot of great matches over the last couple of months with the likes of Eric Young, Jeff Hardy, and most recently Austin Aries at the Destination X special. His matchup with Samoa Joe was really no different. Got some help with from Kenny King at ringside. Lashley hit a spear, um, got a two-count. I think he hit another spear or got the Dominator or something like that, and picked up the victory. So a win for Bobby Lashley, or Lashley, I guess, as they are billing him now, non-title victory. Up next, we had Mr. Anderson against Magnus, and I went crazy when I heard Magnus, um, well, Magnus' music too, but Mr. Anderson's music, because I thought at this point in the show, they would not be having him on the show, considering he wasn't in any of the matches before this. So I went crazy, the crowd went crazy when they heard Mr. Anderson's music, did his whole entrance shtick, with, uh, you know, I'm from Greenway, Wisconsin, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Good stuff there. So, pretty forgettable matchup. Really wasn't anything about the matchup that was memorable, but 
I enjoyed seeing Mr. Anderson live regardless. MVP and Loki adding a hell of a matchup, very Japanese-esque. Great pace, great action, strong showing from both men, a lot of great drama. People were dead early on, but they really got invested in the action as it went on. A lot of great respect between MVP and Loki. MVP shot a look of respect to Loki after the matchup ended. But um, I don't know if that's teasing an MVP face turn. I mean, he only turned heel a couple of months ago, so it would seem to, to be too quick for that to be happening. But that being said, though, you never know with TNA. But great stuff there. I would say definitely in the top three best matches of the night along the knockouts matchup. In this contest, the main event, a three-way tag team match, tables contest, and match two of the best of five series. So if you're listening to this, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I guess TNA is doing a best of five series with the Hardys, Team 3D, and the Wolves for the TNA World Tag Team Championships. I guess the team to get two victories will be the winners of the series. So that's pretty cool. Um, but match two was a tables matchup. I don't know what match one was. I don't know what match... Actually, I do not know what match three is. But this matchup, off the charts awesome. Everyone here had a great showing. A lot of awesome action. People were on their feet the entire time. A lot of close near falls. A lot of close table spots. People were going crazy for this. A lot of this is awesome chance, and that is cool to answer. This is cool. So great stuff here. By far the match of the night. Hardy's ended up going over after Jeff Hardy did a fucking swanton through a table at ringside to, I think, maybe one of the Wolves or whoever, but it was great, awesome spot, and um, they announced that they would be competing in a ladder match the next night. Um, to I don't know who won match one either, but anyway, I don't know um, whatever happened. Regardless, the Hardys ended up going over, picked a ladder match for match three the next night at the New York tapings, so that's pretty cool. Um, and they will probably be building towards a TLC matchup for match four, or match five, when it's gonna, whenever it's going to be happening. But yeah, that closed out the show. We took at we took uh, took off shortly thereafter. I heard that it, there would be a meet and greet, but we had to catch the train, so I did not get that. I think it was the Hardy signing pictures and autographs at ringside. I could be wrong, but it was cool nevertheless to see that. But um, yeah, here's some just brief news and notes and stuff like that. I bought a Mr. Anderson shirt before the show. I tweeted out a picture of it on Thursday if you want to check it out. Um, it's just pro wrestling is real, dot, 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 people are fake in the back, cool shirt. But um, also, they were having a thing over the course of the show, Jeremy Boras announced that if you tweeted during the show, hashtag TNA Live and hashtag TNA NYC, and tweeted at Impact Wrestling um, over the course of the show, you could win a for free merchandise item. So I did just that, I tweeted a couple times with the hashtag and tag Impact Wrestling in the tweet. And I ended up winning. I got a direct message from TNA saying, show this to the merch table, and you get a free item. They weren't really specific. I gave it to the guy, and it was Dewey Barnes of all people, if you remember Dewey Barnes. So I go up to the merch table, I see the guy, I see Dewey Barnes, and I say, I have my phone, so I said, so what if I win, what if I get a message from TNA, do I get anything? He goes, let me see it. So I give him my phone, he analyzes it for about 10 seconds or so, he says, what's your search size? I say, What's my shirt size? And he goes, what's your shirt size? I go, uh, large. He goes, here you go. Reaches into a box, grabs a Sting shirt, gives it to me, and that's it. It was a Joker Sting shirt, too. It wasn't even a good TNA shirt. It was a Sting shirt. It was a Joker Sting shirt, one of my least favorite gimmicks of all time in TNA history. Hated that gimmick, yet I got a T-shirt for it anyway. I'm not going to complain about getting anything free, but fuck you, Dewey Barnes, for giving me a shirt, a shitty shirt that was worth $10, nobody wanted. I thought to be able to pick a free item, a championship belt even, or at least a t-shirt that I wanted. I wasn't even able to pick out a shirt that I wanted. They just gave me a fucking random t-shirt with Sting on it. It was ridiculous. At least give me a Bad Influence shirt or a, an AJ Styles shirt or something, not the fucking bullshit Sting shirt. So fuck you, TNA, and fuck you, Dewey Barnes, but... In all seriousness, um, was pretty cool to get a free TNA shirt. Um, other news and notes, crowd is pretty lively the entire night. I've seen some reports say that we were pretty dead. I wouldn't say that. I would say we were pretty lively. I think it was just the fact that it was a two-and-a-half-hour show. I'm sorry, a three-and-a-half-hour show, so it is pretty logical for the crowd to die down after a while. But that being said, though, I thought that was uh, we were pretty lively for the most part. Great seeing James Storm, Bobby Roode, Jeff Hardy. I've seen Matt Hardy in person before. Um, a lot of those people, great to see him in person for the first time ever. TNA show, I would give it a thumbs up. Awesome experience. Some notable names missing from the show, including Kurt Angle. They mentioned him a few times, him being the director of operations or whatever you call him. He wasn't on show. He wasn't on screen. Maybe he appeared in the backstage segment. But he did not appear before the crowd. Abyss also was not on the show. Maybe he was written out of storylines on a recent upcoming episode of Impact. But yeah, he was not, he was not at the show. ODB... 
not really surprised that she wasn't. I haven't seen her on TNA Impact recently. The beautiful people were also not at the show. They focused mainly on Taryn Terrell, Gail Kim, and Madison Rain, and the debuting Havoc. So no beautiful people on the show. But aside from that, everyone else was. EC3, both mem- former members of Beer Money, Bobby Roode, James Storm, uh, the Hardys, Team 3D, the Wolves, Sonata. Everybody was basically on the show. So I was happy to see that. Great show overall. Really, really enjoyed it. Would definitely go back again if they do come back to the area. They said at one point, it was interesting, Jeremy Boras ended up going, Orlando, Florida was the home of TNA Impact for over 10 years. Crowd boost. Then it goes, Orlando, Florida is no longer the home of TNA. People cheered. We were all expecting for him to say that they'd be taping out of NYC permanently going forward. He didn't get around to saying that. He just said that they'd be back in September for another set of tapings. When, it has yet to be confirmed, but I will not be here anyway. I'll be up at school in Massachusetts, so I'll be unable to go. So hence why I was very happy to be able to go to this show, very fortunate to be able to get tickets. So if they do come back next summer from any point from July, from I'm sorry, from May to August, I would definitely go, so here's hoping they can. Uh, especially since I got tickets at the last minute, and had I gotten tickets earlier, we could have made a day out of the whole experience. i go to NYC for the day, and then go to show at the night, um, go to the show at night. But uh, yeah, I thought it was a great show overall. Really, really enjoyed it. Thanks, TNA, for a very memorable night of action. We'll never forget it. Um, definitely one of the better wrestling shows I've ever attended. I mean, it's funny, too, because I was thinking about this the other day. I think the best wrestling shows I've attended well over a dozen over the last four or five years um, of all the wrestling shows that I've attended in my lifetime, I would say the best three wrestling shows I've ever attended were this year. Um, a Northeast Championship wrestling show, NECW, in Beverly, Mass., at the Cove Community Center. It was their Iron 8 show. Love that show. One of the best wrestling shows I've ever attended. That would be at number three. Number two would be this show, my first TNA show. Holds a soft spot in my heart, like I said before, because it was my first ever TNA show. Cross that one off the bucket list. And number one would have to be the episode of Raw, the June 30th epic show, like I've said here on the show before, in Hartford on June 30th. So that's going to be number one. So it's funny that 2014, it's been kind of a crappy year overall for wrestling. I mean, based on who you talk to, I think it's not as bad as maybe 2009 or 2010, but... In terms of shows that I've attended, it's been amazing. So I could not be any more thankful that I was at the show. And if TNA ever does come around to you, or if you're in the area and you live here in the New York City area or any state surrounding it, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, whatever, definitely go out of your way to get tickets. You will not regret it. So from there, I'll get into my brief prediction for this Sunday's WWE SummerSlam pay-per-view. Last year's SummerSlam show was great. 2011 was great. SummerSlam in recent years has always been awesome, so I highly anticipate what WWE has in store for us on Sunday night. So, going down the card, The Miz versus Dolph Ziggler for the Intercontinental Championship. I, for one, have been enjoying this feud. They've had a pretty good, consistent feud over the last couple of weeks. Great stuff from both Miz, Miz and Ziggler. I expect the match to be, no pun intended, awesome, seeing how their first matchup on Raw a couple of weeks ago, the night after Battleground, was indeed great. And their past matches from 2012 and 2013, respectively, we're also awesome, so I expect this matchup to kick off the show. Dolph Ziggler has pick, been picking up a lot of victories as of late. Uh, people are very anxious to see Ziggler finally get his hands on Miz, who has been flourishing in his role as the Mr. Hollywood. But nevertheless, make no mistake about it, Miz escaped SummerSlam as still your Intercontinental Champion. Jack Swagger and versus Rusev in a flag match. Um, has been a pleasantly surprising feud over the last two months. Been very much getting into Jack Swagger as a babyface. Rusev has been a heel on the rise since his debut the night after WrestleMania. And um, the, the rules of a flag match have yet to be disclosed. I assume that it's just you just reach up the uh, climb a pole and grab the flag. I assume that's basically what it is. WWE really hasn't said. And those are the rules that make sense. You have Jack Swagger go over, get his big moment, and Rusev was not pinned or submitted. If you do have to win this match via pinfall or submission, which would make no sense in a flag match, maybe you hit your opponent with a flag after you get in possession of it, I have no idea. But if that's the case and Rusev goes over, he's not going to be pinned or submitted on the show. But if that's not the case, and I'll just say this right now, this is my official prediction, Jack Swagger will go over if you do not have to pin or submit your opponent. Up next, Divas Championship matchup, AJ Lee versus Paige. This will be a common theme throughout my predictions, but I've been loving this feud as well. AJ and Paige, one of the best Divas feuds in a very, very, very long time. The matches should be good. Their battleground match was good, but I expect this matchup to be even better now that Paige has been clearly, firmly established as a heel. So I'm looking forward to this contest. Paige, I've got her going over here, leading into a rematch, a third and final rematch at Night of Champions with AJ Lee maybe getting back the gold. 
But nevertheless, Paige leaves champion, uh, leaves SummerSlam as the new Divas champion, in my prediction. It could go either way, but I see Paige emerging victorious as the new title holder. Up next, Jericho versus Bray Wyatt, another Battleground rematch. Should be a good matchup. Their Battleground bout left a lot to be desired in the eyes of many, myself included. I didn't think it was bad, I just didn't think it, it met expectations. But um, here's hoping now they can find their pace, they can find their stride, and have a much better matchup, but I've got Jericho losing here, Bray Wyatt going over Jericho in the first match, Bray Wyatt goes over here, leading to a rubber match at Night of Champions, hopefully before Jericho takes off, so I've got Bray Wyatt going over here, hopefully cleanly, with Luke Harper and Eric Rowan banned from ringside, um, Bray Wyatt can clearly establish himself as a force to be reckoned with by defeating Jericho clean. Up next, Randy Orton versus Roman Reigns should be a solid matchup. I've heard their most recent matchups on live events have not gotten good reviews, so I would not be at all surprised if this match is a bum, uh, is complete, you know, a bum of a match. Um, but anyway, though, I look forward to it. Their feud has been better than expected. Roman Reigns will go over. I appreciate the effort to build up Randy Orton again as a legitimate heel. Hopefully, they can continue continue to do that after SummerSlam, but. Roman Reigns goes over, and I don't know if they'll save him versus Triple H from Night of Champions. I hopefully hopefully they save it for later down the line. I don't really want to see it given away as a at a Night of Champions pay per view, which hasn't been relevant in years. Um, but they probably will if they want to push network subscriptions and shit like that. But um, in my personal opinion, I think they should save that that big marquee match for either Survivor Series or Royal Rumble, even or hopefully WrestleMania. But that's just me. But either way, I've got Roman Reigns going over here. Dean Ambrose versus Seth Rollins in a Lumberjack matchup. The stipulation has a lot of people up in arms regarding the contest, but um, I still think it will be a great matchup regardless. They'll make the most of the stipulation. Lumberjack matches are rarely ever good, but here's hoping they can make the most of it, and it can build to a Hell in a Cell match or an unsanctioned street fight down the line of Night of Champions or Hell in a Cell or whatever. Um, so here's hoping they continue the food past this point. And this matchup could go very well go either way. I could see Ambrose going over. I could see Rollins going over. I'll have to go with Rollins here picking up the victory, for if for no other reasons that Dean Ambrose will finally get his big win over Rollins at Hell in a Cell or Night of Champions, like I said before. But, yeah, I'll go with Rollins for right now to continue his momentum. So I've got Rollins. Brie Bella versus Stephanie McMahon, another matchup that could go either way, surprisingly enough, in my opinion. The matchup itself will, no be, will not be a five-star classic, but the drama itself should create a lot of emotion regarding who's going to come out victorious. I've got Stephanie. I think Brie Bella could come out victorious, but I think if they, like with Daniel Bryan, they suspended that, his big moment for, until WrestleMania months and months and months out. So I think they should do the same thing with Brie Bella. Um, by have Stephanie McMahon losing, or winning, I'm sorry, via interference from either a, a turning heel Nikki Bella, which they should also save until a later date. Um, but it would be absolutely awesome that they had Karma return. I've pitched this before. If they had Karma return and take out Brie Bella after her comments towards, or actually from both of the Bellas, back in May of 2011. I doubt they would go back to that, even mention it, but it would be a great way to reintroduce Karma to WWE. Uh, I don't see that happening, but either way, I've got Stephanie going over, maybe, I don't know, maybe if Brock's going over in the main event, maybe that might not be the smartest thing, but, um, yeah, I'll have to go with Stephanie going over, I know they really want to have, um, you know, postpone Brie Bella getting her revenge over Stephanie, but, uh, you know, actually, fuck it, I'll go with Brie Bella, they need to have someone go over, one of the faces go over in the main matches, and if it's not going to be Ambrose or Cena, I've got Brie Bella going over here. So that's my official prediction. Sit in stone. Write it down. And that brings me to my main event prediction. Just said it, but I've got Brock Lesnar. I know some people have their reasons why John Cena should go over, but Brock Lesnar, let's face it, he's a fucking guy who just ended the fucking streak at WrestleMania 30. He needs to win here. Your new WWE World Heavyweight Champion, Brock Lesnar. How they'll handle the situation after SummerSlam, I have no idea, but I still look forward to it regardless. Whether they crown an interim champion or whatever, it should be interesting, but either way, Brock Lesnar, you knew WWE World Heavyweight Champion. Um, whether they have Seth Rollins maybe cash in, I have no idea, but in terms of my prediction for this contest, Brock Lesnar will win the gold. And if they don't, IWC will explode, and my faith in, in WWE will, will be completely lost. So overall, SummerSlam looks to be a blockbuster card, much like last year. Um, last year's card will be hard to beat. But with the card that we've got currently lined up, Ms. Lig Ms. Ziggler, Swagger Rusev, AJ Page, Jericho Wyatt, Orton Reigns, Ambrose Rollins, Brie Bella Stephanie, and Cena Lesnar, this show definitely has the potential to be one of the best pay-per-views in ages. You can take my word for that. So here's hoping it definitely delivers in terms of being an epic show. 
So that's going to do it for this week's edition of Russell Rant Radio. Thank you for listening. I always appreciate it. If you want to show your support, make sure to find me on Facebook and like my Facebook page there, Graham Jason Matthews. Find me and follow me on Twitter, Graham Jason Matthews, at Russell Rant. Bleach Report, Graham Jason Matthews, same thing. And also on YouTube as well, Graham Jason Matthews. Search it up in the search bar. Hit that subscribe button. Always appreciate the support. Um, new episodes of WrestleRant Radio are up every Tuesday right here at nextwrestling.weebly.com. Next week, I will give my review of SummerSlam. We'll air my interview. Hopefully, I was going to do it this week, but a lot to talk about um, prohibited me from doing so. But nevertheless, next week, we'll hopefully be interviewing or airing my interview with Slick Wagner Brown. Um, I haven't talked to him in quite a while before, a couple of weeks ago. Sat down and interviewed him over the phone. Great interview in regards to him and his injury from a couple of months ago and his whole rehab, uh, rehab process. <laughs> I almost botched that. His whole rehab process and stuff like that. Uh, so it's a great interview. It's a great listen. Hopefully we'll be airing on next week's show finally. So with all that being said, folks, thanks for listening once again. I'll be back next week with another blockbuster episode of WrestleRant Radio. I'm Graham Jason Matthews, and I'll see you then.